1: You're listening to this week's free episode. Our second episode each week is exclusively for Slate Plus members. You can sign up for Slate Plus for just $1 for your first month. You'll get every How to Do It podcast without ads. Plus, you'll be able to read every single advice column on Slate with no monthly limits. Join now at slate.com slash htdiplus. That's slate.com slash htdiplus.
2: Warning, this podcast contains explicit language and conversations of a sexual nature.
1: Hi, I'm Stoya. I'm a writer and pornographer.
2: And I'm Rich Joswiak. I'm a writer.
1: We're the authors of How to Do It, Slate's sex advice column. This is our new podcast where we answer brand new letters about all your sex and relationship issues twice a week. You can ask us anything about sex, anything. We're here to help. You know, I sometimes talk about romantic partners. I frequently talk about my own experience with sex work. And sometimes I'll throw in a personal anecdote if we're talking about like the spatial geometry. Mm. But when it comes to relationships, mostly what I draw on is my relationship with Steve. Yes. My completely platonic roommate of almost a decade—always
2: platonic. There was there any ever? Romantic? Always
1: platonic. Wow. When we met, he'd been happily married for fifteen years, uh-huh. and was just excited to photograph pornography. Uh-huh. Now he's divorced, and we live together full time. Right. And that was not quite what I signed up for, but now that I've adjusted to it, it's quite nice. And so I am very partial to people carving out their own relationship structures and webs of support.
2: Yes. And what I've noticed is that it's like carving in butter, kind of, because it's always changing and kind of melting. And I feel like in order to sustain the relationship, you have to be open to that kind of change, I know people need people have boundaries and they need limits and they need to really understand what it is that we're doing. But I find particularly in a non non-monogamous structure with my boyfriend that like rules might come up or vetoes and hard stops and I think in order to allow the relationship to keep flourishing you really at least have to contend with that. Even if you don't agree with this rule that's being imposed or whatever, It always warrants a discussion Mm -hmm. and you should find yourself at the end of that discussion with your partner on some kind of common ground in order to move forward. Yeah. So one of our questions this week concerns the kind of shifting nature of relationships and how maybe what you get, maybe how you feel isn't exactly how you thought you'd feel given the situation that you've set up for yourself and what to do about that.
0: Yeah, so let's dig in. Let's do it. Dear, how to do it. My partner, Sam, and I have been together over three years, and for almost two now, we haven't had sex together. I already had a low sex drive, but I gradually lost interest and still don't really know why. I was just happier without it. I expected Sam to leave, but eventually I became friends with Jess. When I realized Sam liked her as well, I discussed a potential solution with them. They could start to have sex if me and Sam could still be together, They were unsure, but finally agreed. That was last year, and I didn't expect it to work this well. When quarantine began, she moved in, and the three of us have been so happy. The issue is this. From the beginning, we decided to be open about their sex life, and while it was initially awkward, it's now completely normal. But recently I've noticed I'm actually getting turned on by these conversations, They have a much more intense connection than me and Sam did. And if I know they're having sex, I've started listening in. They know and are not bothered I can hear, but don't know I'm actively listening. I find myself wanting what they have. But one of the main reasons Jess is here is because I wouldn't be sexually involved. Sam respects that. He's super affectionate with both of us and regularly kisses me. But anything sexual belongs to Jess. I dropped a hint to Sam the other day, saying that I thought I would enjoy trying something they'd done, but he didn't bite. I felt so embarrassed. How do I talk to them about this? I don't want to change anything, but I want to start having sex with my partner again. Signed, want to get back in the sack.
2: Gotta just sort of escalate the conversation then. If dropping a hint didn't work, then maybe something more straightforward is the track to take.
1: Yeah, I felt so embarrassed. Plus, I don't want to change anything, but I want to start having sex with my partner again. To have sex with your partner again would change things. Yeah. Changing things is a risk. It might not work. You might not be able to go back to the way it is now. And you will probably be embarrassed at least once, more likely, multiple times. And learning how to experience being embarrassed and tolerate it will serve you very well.
2: What I'm getting is this. They're like right about to take the next step. And we're watching the process of evolution and growth happening. And it is scary and intimidating. But this is how you move forward. And even if it doesn't kind of work out with this relationship, there is absolutely nothing wrong with setting yourself up for something that you then realize, oh, I actually don't want it that way exactly, or I want more of that, or that has kind of led me on this different path. I mean, you can see where this is coming from. And it's like, this writer has found their way back to sort of their sexuality with their partner through this unconventional arrangement. And it might not work out, but there is something beautiful about that.
1: Uh, And... Sexuality changes. Yeah. Over the course of the lifetime, we are sometimes only interested in sex with ourselves. Sometimes we're only interested in sex with other people or one specific other person. Sometimes we're not interested in sex at all. And most people go through all of those at some point. Right. So, like, it makes perfect sense to me that they didn't want sex for a couple of years and now they do and maybe that's their sexuality shifting maybe that's the thruple form Mm -hmm. maybe it's all of the time together over the course of the past year and a half Mm -hmm. like we've all spent an enormous and very strange amount of time with the people we live with yes. over the past year and a half. Really, it's probably a combination and a couple of other things I'm not seeing. But like, of course, it's shifted. You're alive. You're <laughs> right. living.
2: Exactly.
1: Things are happening. Things are changing. You're changing in response and growing. And like, here we are. So even if they don't say anything, Change is going to happen.
2: Yes. And, you know, uh, brace yourself for the kind of worst case scenario, which is Jess and Sam like their sexual relationship the way that it is. And they don't want a third. And everybody is more or less happy given this arrangement. So, you know, if that's the kind of worst of it, then that's still fine. Of course, there is the risk of saying something upsetting the balance, just introducing this topic at all. But I don't get the sense from this letter that our writer is going to be happy unless they bring this up and actually discuss this. It's kind of just making that leap.
1: I think so. And as you said at the beginning, they're going to have to be more direct. You can't rely on biting at hints.
2: Exactly. Especially given the fact that this entire structure of your life, basically, is based on the idea that you lost interest in sex.
1: Also, when it is a fairly novel arrangement, you know, the general heteronormative monogamist script allows us to make certain assumptions about each other that can cause problems, but also have like a 40% chance of being correct. Right. But when it's an arrangement like this, or like mine with Steve, like you can't make assumptions because you can't call up your buddy that's also had the same thing and be like, How did it go down for you? Right. Like it's just not as easy. So you really, really, really have to communicate directly.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Once again, communication rules. Yeah. So in sum, I think, keep talking, direct communication. Look, what you propose is a change in your life. And that kind of has to be teased out and explored by everybody involved. And it might be uncomfortable, but I think in this case, there's no way forward. There's no way to attain any resolution without actually having that difficult conversation. So courage and conviction. And know that it's going to be okay.
1: Does our writer sit them down together or talk with them separately?
2: I think talk with with Sam. That makes sense. First. Just because they do seem still to be primary partners. Yeah. And it just might make whatever perspective there is that might be difficult to take a little bit easier when you're one-on-one and you don't feel ganged up on. Mm -hmm. You know?
0: Very smart.
2: So give that a try. how to do it. I dated a woman for about three months. We had great chemistry and never had any drama or issues. A week or two before she broke it off, I had noticed some distance. When I asked her about it, she basically sent me a text saying, sorry for the late response, but I feel it's been too much of us recently. I will always cherish the times we had together. That was it. My response was basically, okay, if that's what you want. A few months later, though, I'm still bothered with how things ended. Should I call her to try and get an answer? Or should I just leave it as one of those things where you will never really know what truly happened? Signed, Flustered. This is like an eternal question given our modern communication, I think.
1: So I'm gonna make it about me. Okay. Every few months, and I don't know why, but I get this wave of former partners texting. Okay. Hey, how are you? Right. And some of them... I don't talk to you for good reason. Yeah. Not horrific reason, but like.
2: You have reasons. Yeah. Solid Solid reasons. And I've no, made thanks. it clear. You're not for me.
1: I don't want to engage with you anymore. Yeah. Please stop texting me. <laughs> right. And they text. Yeah. And you know what they want? Sex. Closure.
2: Oh, closure. Okay. Closure. right. right.
1: They want to tell me how they feel feel okay they want to tell it okay say it but they want to process the emotion
2: but do they want something from do they want an explanation from you
1: sometimes yes sometimes they want to express right so i am bumping the letter writer out of the questing (laughs) seat And saying, at what point is it reasonable to be like, okay, we're done here. right? Like, there's no revisiting, there's no rehashing, there's no explaining, there's no listening. Leave me alone.
2: Well, it's really tough because you open yourself up for more issues, especially if there's already been an issue. Like... The idea that you would have to be that brusque or be brusque at all and introduce something that might be perceived as negativity, which may create more backlash after you've been through something already. It's like, how much do I have to do? I also think like in the case of this letter writer, or in the case of the people who've come to you looking for explanations, that is theoretical because I find in my straightforward travels, when I've given the explanations, that's not good either because people want what they want. And if they want to continue to have sex with you and whether you're going to take them through all of the reasons why you don't want to or just try to be vague and let it taper off, they're not going to be happy with that. They're not going to be happy that they're not they're not having sex and then but they're not they going like, to be happy with the they like assessment. Want
1: to, they like want to debate it and it unmoors my grip on my sanity. Totally it's really jarring and I will actually begin to dissociate Mm. when I'm dealing with that kind of like, you don't know who you are. You don't know what your motivations are or like you're a monster for rejecting my love. Right. Um, Yeah, exactly. So in a completely unobjective way, I'm looking at this letter and I'm like, you're sure you had great chemistry. Yeah. You're sure you never had any issues. You noticed some distance? Was there a reason? Did something happen shortly before that distance started?
2: But I think that's the question, right?
1: Yeah. Did you then grasp onto her and drown her in messages and requests for attention and attempts to charm her?
2: Right. When you saw it slipping away. Yeah. So I can relate to this line of questioning because, like, certainly, like, you know, I had this long-tenure relationship from my early 20s to my early 30s. And then I had, like, a really promiscuous phase for a few years. And definitely when you're doing that, like, there are people that you would like to stay in touch with sexually that you don't and you feel when you text them that they don't want to for whatever reason or they're they're just not enthusiastic as they were before you had sex. And so it's like, wait, what happened? What Like, what is wrong with me? Whatever. I think there's a much broader view to take, which is what's wrong with you per se is that you're just not right for this person. And that's fine because you are not the center of the universe. Like you're just, not. it's just not going to work out. And sometimes people have to taste you to understand that you're not their flavor. But I, I don't know. Part of like my impulse for wanting to know this sort of thing is like, well, what can I do to improve? Like, what did I do wrong? Whatever. And I think that's probably too binary too flat of a way of thinking
1: yeah the not right for this person thing is really crucial and has me going in a couple of different directions one I'm noticing in a very like head tilt distanced anthropological kind of way a lot of people take sex really personally oh yeah it's like integral to their conception of who they are being yeah. desired, and that's really foreign to me. So if you have any books that like explain it, I would love to understand more.
2: Walt Odette's and Out of the Shadows, which is specifically about gay men and how they relate to each other, talks a lot about the intricacies of this kind of like push and pull amongst gay men. It is really interesting because when I started thinking about apps and the kind of dependency on them. When I did like the research on what is keeping people so glued to apps, being desired, I found like one study that actually talked about the sort of like ego fortifying nature of it. So I think like this notion of like being desired that you talk about is like fairly understudied, but it's such a huge part of the experience for some people. I think part of it is kind of like what people colloquially call main character syndrome. And I think it what it goes back to is the failings of the human vessel, which is that we are amongst, you know, almost 8 billion people. And yet we only have this one perspective. And so like, we prioritize ourselves in a way. And it's mm-hmm. like, when we don't get what we want, you can feel a lot of things as a result of it. But I think like, part of it is just like, this is sort of like my failing because it should be working out and I should get everything that I want. And, uh, you know, my expectation of how you're going to relate to me is what should happen. And part of growing up and being an adult is understanding that you are not entitled to any of that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You're entitled to try.
2: Yeah, you're entitled to try. (laughs) And I would say you're entitled to respect, you know? Yeah. Um, You're not always going to get it, but I do think it's kind of a, a human right to be respected however vague that is yeah so yeah i mean like i understand the impulse but i also think part of getting older is just letting that go and understanding that this information that this person may have is probably going to be useless to you because it's only their perception of it and you're not with them anyway
1: they're not interested or they're not interested in seeing you often and you didn't follow up on that but like if they haven't contacted you in months i wouldn't follow up on it that's a pretty clear signal and you're probably not going to be an exciting moment in their day if you pop back up asking for an explanation as to why you're no longer dating It's sort of like street harassment (laughs) in that, hey, baby, why don't you smile terrifies me because Mm. sometimes it escalates five steps and Mm. gets dangerous. Hey, why did we ever break up frequently escalates to this bizarre situation where you're communicating A, B and C weren't a match and they're arguing And insisting that they can change, and it's just very strange and distressing.
2: Because they received an answer that they didn't want to hear. That's like the other part of this, that, you know, you can ask questions, but be prepared to hear what you didn't want to hear, and it might make you feel worse. The ambiguity might be better.
1: Yeah, even if you're totally prepared for an answer you don't want to hear, just the act of asking might stress them out.
2: Absolutely, 100%. You're asking them to do some work, and... They put in their time. If they they wanted
1: to do the work, they would have told you.
2: And they clocked out after three months. Yeah. So they don't want to do the work.
1: It was three freaking months, man. Yeah. Three months.
2: Okay, that's all for now, but we're not done this week. On this week's second episode, exclusively for Slate Plus members, we hear from a letter writer who's got a particular sexual connection to a thing. How unusual is it?
1: To put it in context, I like wearing silk panties. Yes. In a way that makes me feel like it's possibly sex time.
2: Right. To hear that discussion in tomorrow's episode, sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com htdi
1: If you're in need of sex advice from Rich and me, you can write to how to do it at slate.com slash how to do it. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 347 640 4025, and we may use it on the show. That's 347 640 4025 and slate.com/slash/how to do it. Remember, this is anonymous and nothing is too small or embarrassing.
2: Our show is produced by Chow2. How to do its editor is Jeffrey Bloomer. Our letter readers are Shasha Leonard and Benjamin Frisch. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.